Hey everyone, welcome to episode 33 of Mendoza Line. My name is Cam, and I am joined by my co-host, the one and only Nicholas Coates. How are you, Nicholas? Very formal tonight. Hmm, indubitably. I'm doing well, Cam. How are you? Uh, good. I hope you wore your black tie. This is, you know... Yeah, if we're going by if I'm Nicholas tonight, then... Exactly, yes. Then that would make me Cameron. Nicholas the third. Oh, you're not the third. Come on. I, it sounds better with a, a surname at the end. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, we're here. It's episode 33. Let's get to it, man. Sounds good. Strike one. What's the count? Brian Dozier hit it inside the park home run. I did not get to see this. Uh, did you get to see a highlight? Yeah. He runs so hard that his helmet flies off after he rounds second. Like, he was <laughs> hauling. So he rips uh, a line drive into the outfield, and the center fielder um, misses, like dives for it and totally misses. And Dozier turns on the afterburners, drops the lid after second base, head-on dive into home plate to beat the tag. It was pretty impressive. That would be a dream, especially because he's not a the fastest guy in the majors by by a stretch. But to see a center field dive like that, and to know they didn't touch it, so you have a very good chance. It's not going to be an error. So if you make it all around, all the way around, it's like a gimme home run right there. But a lot of these guys don't really wear helmets that fit them, anyways, especially if they have long hair. But I'm sure that was pretty funny to watch him running around with no helmet on. Yeah, he uh, he get ever gave it everything he had, and you know, the twins good. are actually twins are actually respectable this year. Well, so far, yeah, so far so they're far. not the worst team in the league like they were last year. You know, they've got that going for them. Yeah, Dozier could be an interesting name moving forward. He was the t- the talks of a lot of trade rumors this off season, so we'll see. He could be a guy that gets moved, but. Good for him. Get it inside the park arm run. Just got to keep the helmet on. You should wear chin straps. And face masks, right? Mm-hmm. You see more and more of those guys with the the extension on the helmets that kind of protects their face. And it's pretty much everyone that's been hit in the, hit in the face with a bitch before. It's like, why don't, why don't everyone just wear it, you know? Let's just be a little bit more proactive before it actually happens. Well... Yeah, but baseball players are their head cases, so you know it's there's tradition, and then there's you know um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not stereotypes, um, superstition, superstitions. Yeah, and I mean, I, I guess think it could if you're not used to it, that could be a bit of a distraction. Yeah, but you know what else? Face. You know what else? Most people aren't used to. Shattered orbital bones because a fastball got him in the face. So, you know. That's a great, great point. Yeah. But right. this is coming from the guy who touched the car lighter twice when he was a kid to make sure that orange really meant hot. So Twice, can Yeah, twice. Two times. Oh, my gosh. Hopefully you've learned your lesson now. Oh, yeah. Yep. Do they even make those in cars anymore? Um... My car has one, but my car is also like really, really old. It's two thousand one. 
So it's because you're smart and you don't buy new. We have gotten off topic. Already. Yes, we have. Strike two. <laughs> the Yankees are on a win streak. Are the Yankees back? Are they the dynasty of the mid nineties? No. No. They're not. I mean, by all accounts, they've got a pretty decent team and I actually thought they might sneak into the playoffs last year, but I think they're they're coming back from, you know, where they have been, which was kind of, you know, obscurity, which is very odd for the Yankees. But yeah, I imagine in a few years, um, after they sign some major free agents in the offseason, they will be on their way back to being the Yankees we love to hate growing up. But yeah. Now, right now they're just on their way back. They have dealt with some injuries. Early on, they seem to be weathering the storm there. But, again, like we've said, it's early. But I personally have enjoyed them being fairly normal and not having to worry about, yeah, a dynasty or whatnot. Now, this offseason coming up is, I think, their big offseason that they're hoping to get uh, Bryce Harper. And I, I know originally before... He passed. Jose Fernandez was a big guy that they were talking about because he would have been a free agent this year. Man, um, Manny Machado too, right? Yeah, I think because last year, whatever timing-wise, last year was obviously we've talked about this was pretty awful for free agency in the major league, major leagues. But next year is going to be much much better. So um, could have some effects on the trade deadline this coming season. If some of these guys don't sign extensions, or probably not as much of those guys, but we, I think we saw a lot more trades last year just because of the lack of availability in the free agent market. But I think you're beginning to see more of, you know, in made in in uh, the NFL, free agency is a is a thing, but it's definitely not a way to build a team. Um, and I think baseball is becoming more and more of that as teams are getting smarter. I think more and more teams have money, actual money now, too, to be able to keep their best players. So the Yankees can't build dynasties like they used to in the past. But, you know, Bryce Harper is a guy that will get paid quite a bit of money, and there's going to be a few teams in the league that are going to be able to offer him that. And, two, he's a self-professed Yankees fan, so that could be a natural end for them there. But we'll see. Um you still look at their team and you're not definitely struck with fear by what they're trotting out there every single day, but they've got a lot of young guys and they're definitely going to be improving with that farm system that they have. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see uh, what the nationals do with Harper. Um, because I mean, every, everything looks like, you know, they're going to be playoff contenders again. Um, and so you see, you just wonder if they know he's not coming back, if they can play the long game and trade him, or if they keep him on the team, if they're going to definitely make the playoffs and then just lose him for free, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. Like they'll get, they'll probably get a compensatory draft pick for him because, you know, he's just that good. But I just, a player like that, I feel like you have to trade him before you lose him. Yeah, but like you said, the, they're going to be in a, a playoff race. I just don't see that happening. Well, and 
and that's why I'm interested to see do they do they sacrifice the long term gains of the prospects a trade like for him could bring in, you know, or do they just bite the bullet and try and keep him, you know, for the rest of the season and then not get anything for him. I think that's the risk you have to run in trying to re-sign him. It's very similar to the, what the Tigers faced with Scherzer a couple of years ago. And you just, maybe the Nationals, they spent a lot of money on Scherzer. So. Well, and, and, the, and I agree, but the difference is, though, that Max Scherzer wasn't the franchise player for the Tigers. Like Bryce, like Bryce Hyper has been for the Nationals. That is true, but he's definitely a an ace type pitcher. Oh, and don't don't get me wrong, Max Scherzer is incredible, and I was super upset that we let him go, um, and we didn't pay to keep him or you know whatever. But he was only in the Tigers for a few years, you know, and he came, and then he left. Harper's entire career has been with the Nationals. He's been their, you know, their face of the franchise. Him in Strasburg. Mm-hmm. And I just, if I was a Nationals fan and the Nationals don't get anything for him. You know what? I was wrong. He's not going to be a free agent until after next season. 2018, right? 2019. Oh, really? Okay. So this year and next year, he's under contract. So he he's in his third. So we don't he's, have to worry he, about it. Yeah, he's a super two guy. I just wanted to make sure on that. It's definitely coming though. Yeah. Um, he's making thirteen million dollars this year, and he's got another year arbitration, which could definitely push closer to twenty million. And then yeah, that's where we talk about the he's going to break a record for contracts. But um, yeah, I I wanted to check just to be sure on that, but I thought for sure it was after this season, but it's after yeah. next season. I I was wrong as well. So I this just got me on this track a little bit, so I just checked. Um, I'm actually surprised. The Nationals are only number nine in total payroll this year. I expected them to be a lot higher than that. Well, I mean, what, you've got him, you've got Scherzer, and I'm sure Strasburg is getting paid decent money. Jason Worth's getting paid quite a bit. Which is tragic. Mm-hmm. Ryan, Zimmerman's, Ryan Zimmerman's got a decent contract. It would be fun to kind of go through. It's, I mean, this would take a lot of research, but see all the bad contracts <laughs> on uh, <laughs> Major League Baseball teams just because they're guaranteed. So once once teams sign them, you know, you're never getting rid of it. So, yeah, Jason Worth is getting $21 million this year. Are you kidding me? With a full no-trade clause. Wow. So that's... Good for him, but that my gosh, chunk, that's chunk of change there. Yeah, so Scherzer is getting twenty-two million. Yeah, that's that's you know good for him. That's good. So Worth is actually this is the last year of his deal. Um, so they'll be out from under that. Um, they got they still have to play Zimmerman for two more years. They have four. No, three more years. Fourteen million this year. Fourteen next year. Eighteen million in two thousand nineteen. Yikes! That's terrible. Daniel Murphy gets twelve this year and seventeen and a half million next year. Well, I'm looking at all these breakdowns for the contracts, and beyond Scherzer, 
Strasburg, whatever is in his contract, he gets $38 million next year. Holy it, crap. But then it drops down to 25 in 2020. And there's a $15 million player option in 2021. So he's got a lot of leverage there. That's a lot of money, man. But after beyond Scherzer, Strasburg, and Zimmerman, they don't really owe anyone anything by the time Bryce Harper's contract comes up. So they could theoretically pony up, but I guess it'll depend on the next few years and how successful they are, how uh, likely he is to stay. But I'm always, the uh, the team builder in me, I'm always fascinated by these contracts and how it's going to play out and, yeah, future personnel decisions. But, yeah, a few guys on the Nationals are going to be getting paid here over the next few years, which is impressive. I'm actually surprised, too, um, speaking of the Yankees being young and rebuilding, they are still number two overall in payroll. Really? Yes. They are two behind the Dodgers. Wow. I that That's more surprising than the Nationals at nine to me. Unless, yeah, unless this is what I'm looking at is off. Um, what are, I mean, is A-Rod still in the books? Um, I don't believe. I don't believe so, but they um they owe CC Sabathia twenty five million dollars this year. Is he he's not even playing? Is he? Yeah, he's still playing. Oh, he's okay. been very ineffective, but this is his last year. Um, Tanaka is twenty two million. Really? And yeah, or over the next three years, there there are three consecutive player options. So I believe he could, if he de- declined his option, he could become a free agent after this year. Tanaka? Yeah. He's got a fun but, name. Masahiro Tanaka. But he's also, he's, you know, pitching. He's not young. But I guess it, he could theoretically try for one more big payday, but he still get he would still get $22 million over the next three years, each year. Jeez. Uh, Ellsbury gets $21 million for the next five years. What? Yep. That's another bad contract. Terrible. And he's he's not even good now. And he's thirty three, so he's gonna be Yeah, I was gonna say he's he's been in the league forever. He's gonna be thirty seven by the time that contract ends and he's gonna be no power, no speed, just bench player making twenty one million dollars. But that's the Yankees for you. He'll get cut. Chapman gets uh, he's averaging around like 20 the next three years. Um, Mal Holiday gets $13 million this year. <laughs> wow. Chase Headley gets 13 over the next two years. Brett Gardner gets 12 over the next two years. Starlin Castro gets $10 million over the next three years. So, yeah. That's, oh, man. There's some bad contracts in there, too. Yeah. So, even when they're rebuilding, they're still top two in the majors but the dodgers are by far they're 40 million dollars ahead of the yankees uh in current payroll so the tigers are actually number three so we'll have to do this maybe on a another episode go through some of the those contracts where we got way a little off track here but yeah it's uh definitely interesting but i think a big chunk of that will be (laughs) uh miguel and verlander Mm-hmm. Yeah, Miggy gets thirty million 
until at least 2021, and that's where the chart drops off. So I don't know if it goes beyond that or not. But Verlander gets 28 until 2020. Justin Upton gets quite a bit too. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, sure, um, Kinsler gets paid. Oh, Jordan Zimmerman. Don't tell me. 18 this year, 24 next year, 25 I, and 19. I, I, and I said, 25 and 20. I told you don't tell me. Four more years. <laughs> uh, is actually, he makes 11 this year. And there's a 10 million club option for next year. Well, so, here's the bad. thing. Here's the thing that I've come to um, understand about baseball contracts. Is you get paid for your previous work. Pretty much, yeah. That's why... Matt Holiday is getting paid what he's getting paid, and that's why Jacoby Ellsbury has that ridiculous contract. You're getting paid for what you've already done, essentially. And that's why you see so many of these older guys making crazy money when they're past their prime, is because when they were in their prime, they were getting paid pennies. And when they signed the contract, they still had their goods, and the teams know that if they want them while they're still good, they've got to pay them while they're bad yep. in a few years. And then they um, just got to, they got to yeah. just. You know, eat, yeah, eat, they got eat, eat that money, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I just I don't know if there's a quick, easy fix for that, but I feel like paying more upfront for players might actually help you pay less for them later. And I don't know if that's you know true or not, but I mean, some of these rookie contracts that you know guys around they're getting paid comparative to you know these contracts pennies they're still making hundreds of thousands of dollars you know mm-hmm. if, if not a million but and they play their first what is it you know four or five years on a contract like that or they're still rich they're still you know doing very well for themselves and then as soon as that's over they jump up to these astronomical contracts and a a, a, a system with no salary cap and a system where you get paid for previous work it just it's not i don't think it's sustainable and i'll be interested to see over time if baseball contracts change i don't know man there are only there are only six teams that have below 100 million dollar payroll which 10 i mean just 10 years ago there's only a few that were over that so the um the lowest team the lowest payroll can you have any guesses and then we'll what, move on. What team it is or how much it is? Uh both. Uh Padres 87 million. No, it is the Padres are down there, but it is the Brewers. Oh, okay. At, at 62 million. Dang. And 20 of that goes to Ryan Braun. <laughs> Another bad contract. So the Padres are actually at 20 28th in the league at 72. Okay. So the Reds are at twenty uh, fifth at ninety four, but I think thirteen of that is Brandon Phillips's contract. So, so yeah, they're sh- they're shedding as well. But interesting. We'll uh we'll have to go over that in more detail in future episodes. But I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. No, yeah. I I'm very intrigued by all of that. Anyways, um, so that was strike two. Yankees win streak. So ball one. Zach Britton to the DL with forearm tightness. Wah, my, wah. my pick, yes, yeah, sad trombone. 
my uh, my pick for AL Cy Young last year, fifty four consecutive saves is is on the shelf with a dreaded forearm tightness. So we shall see if this is a just a bump in the road or a long term situation. But forearm tightness is always or never necessarily a good thing when it comes to pitchers. There always seems to be some sort of precursor to a elbow ligament injury. So we'll, we will hope, as baseball fans, that, that is not the case because he is he is a very dominant reliever uh, for the Orioles, and that would be a huge bummer to them and also for Britain to, uh, to miss extensive period of time. But, yeah, we'll hope for a positive prog- prognosis here. Yeah, that's what I love about baseball is some of the injuries seem so silly pitcher out because his forearm is too tight (laughs) you compare that to like other sports and it's like well he's gonna miss six months because he broke his freaking leg or (laughs) his acl is torn you know or he has a concussion Mm -hmm. no zach's just got his forearm's just a little too tight like he scooped too much ice cream or something it's (laughs) and i get that it's serious and i get that as you said it can lead to you know ligament damage and, and and you know serious actual injuries but to see someone on the disabled list because they have forearm tightness just makes me chuckle a little bit. That's all. I understand what you're saying, but I will come to the defense in that when you're living is to throw a, oh, a baseball. You're, very you're absolutely correct. You are too. absolutely correct. When your ligament doesn't work for you able to do that, there's not much you can do. But exactly. It is it is definitely funny. So like I have my chuckle and then I realize like, no, okay, it makes sense because he throws a ball with great precision and great speed for a living. And if the arm isn't 100% what it needs to be, then yeah, you know, get it fixed. But it is just silly. What's funny about baseball too, is you, you'll hear these, um, these stories. It actually happened to a Reds pitcher, rough or, um, Rossiel Iglesias. He like slipped and fell in the shower. <laughs> so he like, he bumped, he had a forearm bruise and he like, hurt his back or something so he missed like three weeks but you hear the stories all the time where like someone will cut themselves at home or um slip and fall or someone is like moving a mattress and they like tweak something and they're like out for the year like it seems to happen in baseball more than any other sport Mm -hmm. it's like what are these guys doing to like hurt themselves (laughs) like get someone else to move that for you or get someone else to cut your steak like just stay away from sharp (laughs) objects well, it goes back to what John Crux said. I'm not an athlete. I'm a baseball player. Like, not all of these guys, you know. Or as coordinated at- as they have to be to play the game, yeah. the normal things, they, they seem to struggle. Exactly. All right, ball two. Brandon Finnegan for the Reds becomes the fourth Red starting pitcher to go to the DL this year. So, Dude, that's some serious bad luck. The Reds that's- came into the year with Homer Bailey Anthony DiSclefani, uh, Brandon Finnegan. Those were our three. Those were going to be our three <laughs> known guys who have actually been in the majors before to lead our rotation. All three are now in the DL, including uh, one of our other pitchers, uh, rookie, Ricky Davis, who made it two starts before he got hit right in the forearm with the baseball. Ouch. And I actually saw this happen, and they showed – a picture of his arm and you could see the ball indent in his forearm and it, it was already <laughs> swelling 
Oh, so no. It looked extremely <laughs> painful. But his is not going to be a long-term thing. But the other three, I mean, you're talking about three guys that we were pretty, we were really depending on to provide innings. And now we're at the point where we called up a rookie pitcher today. We have uh, we have three rookies in our starting rotation at this point, in addition to Scott Feldman and Bronson Arroyo. So nice, couple ends of the spectrum there as far as age goes. So it's it is going to be an interesting year. It's been it's been rough for Red starting pitchers so far this year. I believe the Reds bullpen has pitched the same amount of innings as the starting pitchers have, which is never a good combination. Nope. So thankfully they were kind of prepared for this. So we have a couple of our younger guys in the bullpen that are starters. So they've been pitching three to four innings in these games. But that's definitely not sustainable over the course of the year. So it's, I mean, thankfully the Reds weren't not competing this year, but they're they're just trying to figure out five guys that can competently pitch a major league game and stay healthy just for the, the time being. So a lot of guys are going to get shots, but it's been, it's been a, yeah, a tough luck injury wise for the Reds to start the year. So it, I guess the silver lining here is that some guys are going to get chances sooner rather than later to kind of get those jitters out, get their major, major league debuts out of the way and hopefully get settled in and be able to, prov- you know, provide some consistency there because the spots are definitely open. So Amir Garrett is a guy in the, his first two starts that has definitely taken advantage of that. So we'll see if guys like Sauramano and Rookie Davis, when he comes back, can do that. And then also they've got Cody Reed and Robert Stevenson in our bullpen now that I think the plan is for them to still be starters. So hopefully they get a shot again soon. They've been doing better, uh, the bullpen. Their, their issues were confidence and throwing strikes and they've been doing a better job but they got to step up now because this is their opportunity but but yeah uh, the Reds still have the second best record in, in baseball somehow but that um the uh, the outside forces are are making going to make that tougher moving forward to maintain that level of success mm-hmm. so hopefully no more injuries for red starting pitchers all right, and then strike three. You want to take this one? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so baseball, uh, besides being, uh, you know, America's pastime, uh, has with it many traditions. And oftentimes uh, one of those traditions um, is a race during the game. Sometimes it's ketchup, mustard, and relish that race. Sometimes it's presidents. Sometimes it's, you know... Whatever, you know, particular... Uh, hot dogs, it, sausages. Yeah, hot dogs. You know, depending on what city you're in, that race may take on a uh, appropriate genre twist. Um, <laughs> yes. So, this race was the president's race. In and, Washington, D.C. Of course, naturally. And, uh, you know, it being Easter today, uh, there was an Easter bunny walking around terrifying everyone because Easter bunnies, well, they're creepy. Why do they all have to be so creepy? The whole concept of Easter bunny is stupid, you know? I saw the picture with your daughter a couple of days ago. Oh, it's terrifying, isn't it? I didn't that know. That Easter bunny I, had a huge beard. It, it yeah, and then 
Meredith's like, oh, she was sleeping. I was like, I think she passed out from terror is what I actually think happened. Um, but yeah, I mean, because rabbits that lay eggs, you know, that totally makes sense when we're talking about Jesus raising from the dead. But what, you, whatever, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> that's um, for master class. Exactly. Uh, so anyways, the uh, presidential race uh, in Washington, D.C., and uh, Teddy Roosevelt was running, and the Easter Bunny decided to go all Rob Gronkowski at WrestleMania and <laughs> tackle the dude. Uh, He's killed Teddy. Yeah, so Teddy's running, <laughs> and the Easter Bunny just <laughs> takes him down. Let's let's just say that. Uh, yeah, it was a clean hit. But yeah, poor Teddy. They they always <laughs> they always. <laughs> They always screw him over. He's he's always he ne- he's never won a president's race before, and he's he's always been so close. And then something crazy happens, and somebody comes out of nowhere and tackles him, and he doesn't win. I'm just I'm I'm kind of sick of it. I wish he, they would just let him win. Well, I I do want to say that uh, the technique that the Easter Bunny used was really that good. Could have been. It was borderline spearing, though. He led with his helmet if he no, would have had a helmet on. No, he got his head across the front and he used his shoulder. That was, <laughs> and he also caught Teddy right in the mouth. Right in the mouth. <laughs> that would have been a penalty in the NFL. Yeah, but in a wrestling ring, that would have been, oh, my God, he broke him in half. He's dead. <laughs> He's dead. So yeah, if you haven't seen the video, you got to watch it. Yeah, it's pretty awesome because he leaps from the stands. <laughs> it's right in the face. <laughs> oh, it's oh, so good. High quality entertainment there. Mm-hmm. Well, that was that was a great. Uh, what's the count, Cam? Great. Probably our best one yet. All right, moving on to our main topic tonight. So we we're really excited about this one. We um. We are talking pre-show about um, favorite players of our childhood, and we tried to focus this more on, you know, we've, we've both been watching baseball for most of our lives, and, you know, as much as you say that you don't know much about baseball, you've been watching baseball since you were a kid, so we, um, we wanted to focus specifically in this episode about, yeah, players when we first remember starting to watch baseball that really kind of stuck out to us and guys that we enjoyed following. You know, for me, it was playing my Nintendo 64 all-star baseball 2000 game and doing fantasy drafts, which I, I drafted these players and, and tried to build these super teams. But yeah, I think it'd be just fun for us to reminisce a little bit. And for me, it's not even, I'm not even picking any reds, but just guys that, we're just larger than life, you know, coming up as a kid and some of the best players in the game, uh, being able to watch them. So, so yeah, it should be some fun kind of reminiscing here for a little bit. And there are so many more players we even briefly discussed beforehand that we might not even talk about, but just a lot of fun to remember um, those guys from our childhood. So uh, would you like to start? Oh, I sure would because the first guy on my list is, well, He's everyone's favorite baseball player, Ken Griffey Jr. Yeah, I remember him being on Sports Illustrated for kids. So do I. And um, yeah, he was he was awesome. Yeah, I mean, it just 
he was uh, an incredible athlete, uh, a great player, had the perfect swing, you know, uh, had great smile, great personality, um, and was kind of the face of baseball when when we were kids. Uh, he was in the Sports Illustrated for kids. You know, if ESPYs were a thing, he would have won one every year. Uh, the dude was just crazy talented and a nice guy and a good role model for kids. Um, and just a ton of fun to watch play the game. I mean, he ruled the outfield. He had it all. He was a five-tool yeah. player. And, and I just remember watching, you know, him scale the wall to catch a ball like it was no big deal or running down a fly ball in center field that no one else could have got or hitting the timely home run with that perfect swing. Right. I mean, I think back to, you know, Ken Griffey Jr. When I was younger and he was the best player of all time. And, you know, obviously he had some injury issues that really, I think hampered him from actually being the greatest player of all time. Um, the Reds cursed him pretty much by training for him. Yeah, but he just, when I think about baseball as a kid, even though I was a, you know, I'm from Detroit and I'm a Tigers fan, when I think about baseball as a kid, I think of Ken Griffey Jr. He had his own baseball game, he his, made own, his the, own video he, game. He made the all century team when he was still playing. Like, incredible. Yeah. He was like one of the few people. Um, he might have been one of the only two, like one of two that. Did that. The all century team. We're talking about like Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Hank Aaron. Like he was recognized even when he was playing, not even at the end of his career, as one of the greatest to ever play the game. So, and he yeah. did have his own baseball game. Yeah. Ken Griffey, Ju- Ken Griffey Jr. baseball for Super Nintendo. Yeah. He was such great memories watching him in his prime. That Manners team when they. When they had um, Randy Johnson and A-Rod and King Griffey really early on before they traded those uh, those first two. Man, that would have been a pretty epic team if they would have all stayed together. I don't know if they could have afforded it, but yeah, it would have been pretty stinking awesome. But if, uh, the guys that I want to talk about first, I, I went ahead and grouped together just because they all, they all, you know, never, they did not stay my favorite players, obviously. Um, but when I remember first getting into baseball, these were the guys, the, uh, the American league triumphant of shortstops, no more Garcia para Alex Rodriguez and Derek Jeter. Like those guys were, um, like every kid loved emulating those guys. I remember playing little league, um, you know, playing shortstop and, you know, picturing myself as wanting to be one of those players just cause when I, when we first started watching those, when they were really first coming up. And just revolutionizing the game in a sense. Um, Garcia Parra had that really funky batting uh, batting stance, um, which was a lot of fun to watch. And then, I mean, every, I mean, everyone knew about A Rod. He was the phenom, one of the best players in baseball when he was a teenager um, coming up. But this was before his PED stuff and before he turned into a huge jerk. Um, and then, every, obviously, everyone loved Derek Jeter as well. But that was before. They won all those World Series and really started hanging the Yankees. But those are just um, so; those are guys were so much fun to watch, and they were always kind of grouped together because they kind of came up around the same time. But yeah, they were they were great. 
Yeah, I, uh, I almost put Jeter on my list, but I didn't because you've got that one covered. Yeah, just we're. I think we're coming back to a point now where we're gonna have another um, set of shortstops for kids to look up to. You know, we've got there's so many prospects and already some young, uh, you know, Correa and Francisco Lindor that are already in the league and you, you throw in, you know, Dansby Swanson and some of the other prospects that are coming up. There's going to be mm-hmm. another, another wave of really, really good shortstops coming. So should be fun to see. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, the next guy on my list is a tiger and he is probably the most well-known tiger of the nineties. And that would be Cecil Fielder. Um, dude was large, uh, <laughs> And there was just something about him, you know, in Detroit. He he was just this big, fat guy that could just hit the cover off the ball. And, uh, you know, more nimble than you would ever imagine, more athletic than you would imagine. Um, And I knew where his house was, and I had a baseball signed by him. And, um, you know, and there was other good players on the Tigers, you know, Alan Trammell and um, other people I can't remember right now. but he was like when I think about baseball as a child, you know, I think of Ken Griffey Jr. as like the guy I wanted to be like as a player, and then I think of the Tigers, and immediately I think of Cecil Fielder. He just he was the the Tiger um, at that time, and you know he was a pretty good player as well. Um, but he just kind of broke the mold because you know he wasn't skinny he wasn't muscular he was just this <laughs> big chubby dude that could play first base and hit the ball um so i just always had a i always was always just a fan of his and i thought it was pretty cool and prince fielder was on the tigers as well because you know prince grew up in in detroit and in toronto where you know yeah, Cecil one played yeah, he would hang out on the field, right? He was this mm-hmm. chubby little kid. Yeah, and, and obviously I didn't know who he was back then because I was only actually watching the games, but I just thought it was pretty cool that he got to come back to Detroit and play a few seasons uh, for the same team and in the same position as his dad, even though him and his dad don't have the best relationship, apparently. Yeah, I hope... Or that, yeah, that's just a bummer. That's ended up how it is, and then, yeah, that Prince's career ended the way that it did, too. He definitely, that's a guy that went off the cliff pretty, cliff pretty quickly mm-hmm. when injuries started hitting him, but he definitely was not, he was not necessarily an athlete, but he was a baseball player, like you said. Exactly. I think um, this next guy for me was an, another guy with, like you said, with King Griffey that everyone knew about and loved, but I, I chose Randy Johnson. Um, you talk about a left-hander that the prototypical tall, dominant, hard-throwing left-hander like everyone knew and feared, Randy Johnson. Um, He had the awesome hair. He's just, I have no idea how anyone ever hit him. As as hard as he threw, that hair going everywhere, his limbs flying everywhere, that nasty slider, um, and bird killer as well, taking out that pigeon with this fastball and that complete freak accident during a spring training game. Remember that? Wait, what? Oh, the, uh, the, the poor bird that, yes, ex- that got obliterated. That exploded. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, he was, 
he was awesome. He was so much fun for me as a left-hander too, to be able to, I don't know, not that I was ever wanted to be him, but, um, he was so much fun to watch and you just could recognize even as a kid that this guy was probably the best pitcher in the game. And he, he really sustained it for a long time and, um, stayed relatively healthy for the most part. But that was, I remember kind of the downside of his career when he wasn't as dominant as he was. It was just, it was sad because I could remember when he was not necessarily young, young, but in his prime and just completely unhittable, just putting up ridiculous strikeout numbers and just being unhittable. But he was definitely one of probably my favorite pitcher growing up to watch for sure. Yeah, again, I almost put Randy on my list. Um, yeah, he was the mustache and the mullet. and just <laughs> That mullet was so glorious. Just, yeah, oh, man. Um, the last guy on my list is uh, Pudge Rodriguez, um, who, while he was a Tiger, is, is most known for his time with the Rangers. And uh, I just won. His name is funny to me still to this day. His nickname is Pudge. Um, the perfect catcher, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and he, his his career, like he was always an all star. Uh, he was always, uh, you know, the combination of great defensive catcher, but also could be a huge boon to your team's offense. Um, and, you know, so many times, you know, teams have catchers that are, you know, they can they can control a staff, they can call a game, they can protect the plate, but, you know, they're a liability on offense. And um, as far as I can remember, Pudge was the first catcher in my, you know, childhood and teenage years that was kind of the, uh, you know, the five tool on both sides of the plate. And I don't know if he was the five tool guy totally, you know, cause that's, that's up for, you know, scouts and all that crap. But he was the first catcher to me that was like a personality and, you know, was an all-star and, um, wasn't on the team because he could catch per se. He was just on the team cause he was an all around really, really good baseball player. Um, and that you've had guys, you know, nowadays, you know, you had Joe Maurer, was that sort of catcher Buster Posey was that sort of catcher um but still there are a lot of catchers in the league that that are there for defense and for calling a game and not necessarily there to, to hit the ball um so he was just a unique combination of skill and personality and he just fit really well with the Rangers and then of course he came to Detroit and he had a really good run in Detroit as well um mm-hmm. really good run um got to the World Series and you know, all that stuff, but, um, and obviously that was later in my, you know, life. I wasn't a kid then anymore, but he had a really long, really good career. And I remember him in Sports Illustrated for Kids, like him, Mike Piazza, and Ken Griffey Jr. are the three baseball players I remember the most from Sports Illustrated for Kids. I remember Mike Piazza's drum kit in his New York apartment. Yeah. I don't know why I remember that, but I do. Um, so he yeah. Played, he played forever, 20 years as a catcher. But yeah, as a catcher, which is crazy. So, yeah, I'm just looking at his stats and his career. It's amazing. He was just, I mean, he was an amazing defensive catcher. Like, 
yeah. nowadays that is a, so valuable in and of itself. But this is a guy that was consistently putting up a 300 batting average and a lot of power with that. <clears throat> His MVP year, 1999, he had 35 home runs, 113 RBIs, uh, 25 stolen bases as a catcher, hit 332 um, with a 356 on base percentage. It's pretty amazing. Um, then, yeah, he had that one year when he was with Florida, and that was the year they won the World Series in 2003. Oh, I'd forgotten about that, yeah. And then, yeah, that, after that was when he went to Detroit. Um, so that, that was a guy that he had, yeah, he had a lot of success. He was with the Rangers forever, I, for 10 years. I, th- I seem to remember him more. I definitely remember when he was with the Marlins, probably because of the World Series. And then, yeah, I remember mm-hmm. he was with the Tigers for, um, looks like, six years. And then he... He went to several different teams after that, but he he all, his last year was 2011. Feels like a lot longer ago than that. I guess that's six years now, but mm-hmm. um, but yeah, that was I totally agree. What was it's kind of cool to see our lot of our lists were every single guy you picked. Cecil maybe not as much, but those other two were definitely favorites of mine as a kid. Yeah. So. The, uh, the last guy I picked also retired in 2011, uh, Vladimir Guerrero. He was, I remember in that All-Star game I talked about before, he was like, I think at the top-rated player, 99. He just, he had like top-of-the-charts power, hitting, and then he had top-of-the-line arm and uh, the best defensive right fielder in the game, so he just covered all the boxes, but... Maybe I just loved him nostalgia-wise because he played for the Expos. I remember him playing <laughs> for the Expos growing up, but I just love the Expos uniforms for some reason. It was really sad to see them go, but yeah, this is a guy that had a really great career, even up till the end. Like He kind of had a sudden... He's still only 42. I feel like he could still play if he wanted to, but even in his last year with the Orioles, he uh, hit close to 290. Um had 13 home runs, you know, definitely on the downside there. But um, and at his peak, this is a guy that was hitting mid-40s home runs, hitting, you know, 330 on top of that uh, with an over 400 on-base percentage, slugging near 600, and playing a, you know, cold glove right field, just a prototypical right fielder, big, tall, cannon of an arm, but also middle-of-the-order lineup, so... He's just a great, great, fun guy to watch play, and um, it'll be interesting. His son is actually in the Blue Jays system. Um, you think he's only 19, but he's he's going to be one of the top prospects in baseball within the next couple of years as he gets closer. He has a lot of the same tools as his dad. At this point, he's still playing third, but I think some people think that he um, is going to end up in the outfield, but... Yeah, it'd be kind of cool to see another Vlad Jr., a Vlad Guerrero come through in the next few years. But loved watching Vladimir play in that old Expos uniform. Be fun to have the Expos come back someday. It would. Didn't they play one season in like Puerto Rico? I think they did. Yeah, um, that might have been their last year. 
of existence before they became, I think that was as the Nationals were building their new stadium or something, but I, I do remember that. That must have been 2003. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Super weird. Montreal yeah. to Puerto Rico to Washington. Yeah, it must have been weird for him too, going from Montreal, and then he ended up in L.A. for pretty much the rest of his career with the Angels. It's a big uh, change in culture there, I'm sure. Yeah, and climate, and you know, a whole lot less French being spoken in L.A. than there was in Montreal. Yeah. It's also interesting, too, just a tidbit, but the um, baseball reference has his stats, but it also has his salary, so... The most money he ever made was there's a couple of years at the end of his tenure in LA where he made fifteen million dollars. But most of the other years it was around ten or eleven million a year. Fifty? So, Fifteen, sorry. Oh, okay. I was like, holy cow, Nick. So I'm just saying, like, if he was still playing now and he was putting up those numbers, he'd probably be making almost double that. Yeah. Yeah. So still made uh $125 million in his major league career, so not too shabby. Yeah, gosh. that's <laughs> Not too shabby at all. But You know, I would take 1% of that salary. That'd be great. It would. But yeah, like I said, we there's so many other players we talked about. Roberto Alomar, Kenny Lofton. Um, you know, Walk. those guys on that, yeah. those Indians teams that were in the playoffs all the time and Bernie Williams and David Justice and Juan Gonzalez and Sammy Sosa, Scott Brocious on the Yankees, Jorge I never, Posada. I, oh, Jorge, yeah. Uh, Paul O'Neill always, I always remember him. And Tito Martinez. Uh, I, I think a lot of these guys, it was just because they were on the playoff teams. Because I don't know, baseball just wasn't on TV very much. I mean, yeah. I didn't have didn't have cable growing up, so that was when I got to watch them. Was in the playoffs, so that's probably all the. The guys that are actually on good teams in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Chipper Jones, that whole Braves rotation. Yep. yep. Glavin, Smoltz, and... Uh, Maddox. Maddox, yep. Good times. Feels like years ago, and there's Yo. still one guy from that era that's still playing. Who? Big Sexy. Oh, gosh. Bartolo Colon. <laughs> <laughs> oh playing. my goodness yeah yeah he is probably will never retire but uh, we, would, we would hate to lose him <laughs> uh, big sexy what a silly name well that stroll down uh, memory lane was quite enjoyable Nick was alright well uh, I think that brings us to the end of episode 33 thank you guys and ladies so much for listening um, if you have a topic you want us to discuss in the future, let us know on Twitter. Nick is at Coatsy, C-O-A-T-S-I-E-E, and I'm at Cam Brennan, C-A-M-B-R-E-N-N-A-N, and you can get uh, more Super Megacorp podcasts at supermegacorp.net. Check them out. There's other ones, but none of them are as baseball-y as this one is. Very well put. Indeed. Well, we'll be back next time. Until then, later. Bye.